Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Thank you, David. Thank you, church. Good morning. Um, So just a bit of instruction, and and then we'll uh, recite the Lord's Prayer together from the King James Version, which we've done the last three weeks. Uh, at the end of the service, so we'll, we'll end a little early, the preaching will only be 30 minutes, and towards the end, there are going to be prayer guides in front of you, and those are uh, divided up into three sections. One is group prayer, so find three, four, five, six people around you um, and pray along with those prompts or however you feel led by the Spirit to pray together. If you're more comfortable praying individually, there's a couple of prayer prompts there, one from Psalm 51, one from the Lutheran Book of Prayer. And if you're not a Christian, we invite you to take a look at the bottom of that guide, and there are some words for you to consider from from God's holy word. Uh, As we're able, please stand and let's read from the King James Version, the Lord's Prayer in its entirety. As we do this, let me just encourage you, for 20 centuries, Christians have been praying this prayer because our Lord is good and has gifted us with his word. So we have a great cloud of witnesses with us as we say this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I feel better every time I read those words out loud. It's not just that the Elizabethan English strikes some sort of, I used to be a language arts teacher, so I feel at home with Shakespeare, and I'm sure some of it is that, but I think a good portion of it is just knowing that those words are true and that my my Lord gave them to me for my good. Uh, If you're able, please turn to Luke chapter 11, and we will read verse 4, and then we will take a look at what our Lord is instructing us to do and asking for forgiveness from our Father and forgiving those who sin against us here in this life. Luke 11, verse 4, within the prayer that Jesus is telling his disciple to pray, he says, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So we're going to look at this under three headings. The first heading is going to be vertical forgiveness and confession. I'm calling it that because our Lord says that we're to talk to our Abba Father and confess to him our sins and ask for forgiveness. So that's vertical. We're going to look at it under horizontal, so a heading of horizontal forgiveness where I confess to my brothers and sisters here in this life, on this earth. And then lastly, we're going to look at how it plays out. And I'm going to use 1 John, actually the text that uh, Pastor Jason worked into our liturgy. We're going to look at that text and see how forgiveness and confession plays out in the church and in families and in any Christian circle. So first, taking a look at vertical forgiveness, where we confess to God our sins and we ask him to forgive us. An exhortation. Maintain regular Godward confession. Where am I getting that? Right here in the text, Jesus, within his template prayer that is the answer to his disciple, how do I pray, right? This Christian disciple asks Jesus, how do I pray? And within that template prayer, that prescriptive prayer, Jesus puts, 
confess your sins to your father and forgive those who sin against you. So I am not merely on the day that I'm converted to ask forgiveness of God, but this is actually supposed to be a regular feature of my Christian life. I should not merely be asking forgiveness once on the day that I become a Christian. I should be going to God daily about my sins, which is why 1 John 1, 9 through 10 reads the way that it does. John, an apostle who is already forgiven, whose name is in the book of life, who is regenerate, he's converted. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a Christian writing to Christians commends daily or regular confession to God. So this is supposed to be a a regular feature of my Christian life. When I do this, when I go to God and ask him for forgiveness, I am asking him to not hold me to the debt that I owe him. That's the language that you saw in the KJV. It's the language that you see in the second half of verse four in the ESV or NASB. There is a debt that we owe to God when we sin. And when we ask him for forgiveness, when we confess our sins and ask him to forgive us, we're asking him to not hold us to that debt. And we notice in earthly father-son-daughter relationships that this is a feature of healthy families here in this life, right? So Luke 15, verse 21, the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that story, the son comes home and he says, Father, against you and against heaven have I sinned. I don't even deserve to be called your son anymore. And Jesus includes that in that parable. And we're not supposed to go that the son is being too hard on himself. We recognize in that parable that is a proper posture of that son towards that father. I have one of my kids. I won't name which one. because She's here. when she sins and apologizes, she hugs me and stays in that position for like five minutes. Uh, And it it took me a while to pick up on what was going on there. But I have since recognized that's that's her spirit filled. She's a Christian. She's been born again. She's been baptized. She's trusted in the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is operating in her in a particular way where she wants that relationship restored. She recognizes that whatever she did, ruptured, cracked, broke, deteriorated, disrupted the proper flow of fatherly, daughterly love. And she wants it restored. She wants it back. And so she, she hugs me and I, you know, stroke her hair a little bit and kiss her on the top of the head. And I tell her everything's okay. Daddy loves you. But that is actually a little picture of what Jesus is commending to us here. Where when we sin, we don't cover it up, we don't hide it, we don't lock it up in a corner somewhere in our hearts, we don't defend it. We go to him, we confess it openly. We go to our Father and we say, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? I'm so sorry. And he forgives us and he cleanses us. He's purchased that forgiveness with the blood of his son. The problem is that we have this this rebel territory, this insurgent territory in us called the flesh, right? That's what the, I just realized I'm still wearing my welcome team tag. Don't let that distract you. So inside of us, there is this insurgent rebel territory called the flesh, and it reacts to confession the way a house cat reacts to a Rottweiler, right? Its tail goes up, and it's The fur on its back goes up and it screeches. Our flesh hates confession. Our flesh wants the sin to be hidden, protected. 
because our flesh doesn't actually understand the economy of God, that God loves to forgive his people. He delights in forgiving his people. He is long-suffering, compassionate, slow to anger. But my flesh is none of those things. My flesh is not compassionate. My flesh is totally works-based and wrathful and filled with malice and bitterness. And so it wants to back away from the light. It wants to hide its sin. And it's my job as a Christian to, with the sword of the Spirit and with faith in the God of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take my sin to the Lord, confess it boldly, and to know that he has purchased my forgiveness to not let my self-destructive, rebellious flesh win the day. Uh, So here's how I need to confess my sins. Heavenly Father, Abba, I am sorry for my sinful anger yesterday, my wicked anger. I, I nourished and cherished bitter thoughts in my heart for half the day yesterday. And they were terrible. They were wicked Please forgive me. I don't say, Heavenly Father, I am sorry that my kids made me lose my temper because they just won't shut up, right? That's not confession. Confession is to go to God naming the sin the way he would name it, to call it what he would call it, to feel about it the way he would feel about it, and then to walk away cleansed and totally forgiven. That's how I'm to confess my sins. That's how Jesus, our Lord, would commend us to confess our sins. All right, a couple practical notes on this vertical Godward confession. A couple practical notes. Number one, consistent, honest, Godward confession keeps you aware of the most dangerous things about yourself. Consistent, honest, Godward confession keeps you aware of the most dangerous things about yourself. This being present in regular prayer will train your heart to be aware of its own sin. Daily confession is the school, the college, the university of self-knowledge. A man who does not regularly, honestly confess his sins will be ignorant. I have seen this in myself, and I have seen it in men and women I've been in churches with in the past. A man who does not regularly, honestly confess his sins will be ignorant of the specific dangers that the worst parts inside of him represent to himself and to those he loves. Confession is the honest, open, humble recognition of sin and the recognition of sin as sin. If you are not confessing, you are not recognizing your deadliest behaviors for what they are. Bitterness gets worse the more you deny that it's there. Lust gets infected the more you hide it. Gossip deteriorates more and more of the bonds in your life the more that you defend it as some sort of therapeutic help called venting. I've done all of these. You will not be intimately acquainted with how destructive your sins are without regularly confessing them to God. I have seen, I've got one particular brother in mind here, not not literal brother, but brother in Christ, I hope, who I looked up to as an example, um, as a Christian man. He got me my first full-time job as I was 
getting engaged and starting to become a man. And he's divorced. He doesn't have a great relationship, I don't think, with his kids anymore. Um, I love this guy. I, I would do anything for him. And there were particular sins that I think he let go unaddressed that isolated, you know, on one particular day, drinking a little too much or making some kind of lewd joke. In one particular instance, you might have, have not thought it was that big of a deal. But as time goes on, those unconfessed sins, they fester. And eventually, before you know it, because you haven't maintained a sense of regular communication with God about your sin and an awareness of how bad it can get if you don't address it, your marriage falls apart. Your life falls apart. I don't want that for anybody in this room, anybody in this church. I don't want it for anybody in my family. And one of the ways that you undermine that in advance, that you protect against it in advance, is by confessing daily your sins. Practical note number two. I say this as a uh, always recovering proud man. I have the firstborn syndrome, so I think I know the answer to everything and that I can fix everything. Beware of false confession. So there is a posture that proud men or proud women can take where they, they look like they are confessing their sins, and they are not. Notice here that Jesus connects, Jesus connects our sins against God to others' sins against us. He says, forgive us our sins for... We ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Why does he do that? There's probably not just one reason, but let me give you one. I think he would have us put our sins in the same unflattering light that we put on others' sins against us. So when somebody else sins against me, almost never... Never do I go, I mean, he, he didn't get a lot of sleep last night. He's going through a lot right now. He didn't mean it. I call it what it is. But when I sin against God, there are a hundred thousand reasons why it wasn't that big of a deal. And when Jesus connects our confession to God with our forgiveness of others, one thing he's reminding us of is that it's the same my sin against him is just as repugnant as someone else's sins against me. So when I go to God, I need to confess it that way. I don't build the excuse into the confession. If there was a mitigating factor, he knows that already. But I'm going to go to him with the sin as sin. There is a way to confess without really confessing. It seeks the credibility of humility. I have done this. I have done it in the last two years. I'm sure of it. I'm sure I've done it with them when I've confessed bad anger and I haven't really meant it and they can tell. There is a way to confess without confessing. It, really, it seeks the credibility of humility without any of the actual pain of humility. It's like the guy who wears the shirt of a marathon he never actually ran in, which I thought about doing last year at the Aruna Run. I woke up early, I got to that thing, and I did not want to run. Sorry, Andrew, I know. <laughs> but... Tom Cantwell had paid for it, so I felt bad about it, so I ran the thing. And then I didn't even get to keep the shirt. She wanted it, so now she's got it. It's the opposite. I got the pain, and I don't have any credibility. 
But there is a kind of confession that wants to look humble, posture as humble, but it hasn't actually had its spiritual knees broken, which real confession always does. Real confession always comes with some form of tears. I'm not saying literal tears always out of your eyes, although that will happen probably at least once in your life when you really wrong somebody. But I am saying some sense of brokenness, some sense of how could I have possibly done that. Let me show you one example of real confession. If you want to turn there, it's from Ezra. It's chapter 10. So God's people were in exile. They were in Babylon because of their sins. God had punished them by sending them away under King Nebuchadnezzar. And then they come back. God forgives them and sends them home because God is a forgiving God. And they get back and their hearts are broken with their sins. This is real confession. Let me read it to you from Ezra chapter, one. It's, or Ezra chapter 10. It's verses 1 through 12. While Ezra, the spiritual leader, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Shechaniah knows the character of his God. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, he says to Ezra, arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Be strong in your confession. We're weeping, you're weeping. Be strong. Confession's gonna take spiritual muscles. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said, so they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehoanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. Let me hit pause, throwing this in for free to every father and husband in this room. Do this. Let me invite you into something that is incredibly meaningful. At the beginning of the book of Job, when God's trying to illustrate the righteousness of Job, one thing he tells us is that Job prayed for the sins of his children, that they might be forgiven. Ezra is the spiritual father of these people. And he goes away in a room, in a bedroom, and he weeps, and he doesn't eat or drink. There may be great things to watch on Netflix. He's not into it, not tonight. He is praying for the forgiveness of his people. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. These people are taking their sins seriously because they take their God seriously. 
Verse 9, then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. Names the sin the way God would name it. No excuses. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice. I love the picture of these people. I can picture them with tears still on their faces as they say with a loud voice, it is so, we must do as you have said. That's confession. That's confession. It always involves tears and turning, always. It won't always be literal tears, but there is something in us from God, it's a gift from his Holy Spirit that is ashamed of the, wicked that we, the wickedness that we do and then causes us to go to him, to name it the way he would name it, to feel about it as he would feel it, and then to receive the glorious forgiveness of God purchased at the cost of his son's blood. All right, as we, uh, we're more than halfway done here, but as we do this, I wanted to help us build a prayer, a simple prayer. So this is part one of a prayer uh, built on Luke 11.4. Part one of that prayer is, God... Forgive me for, and then name it what he would name it, for lust, gossip, slander, vanity. I sinned against you and against others. All right, quickly, the horizontal element of this forgiveness. My exhortation to you on this from the text is forgive the debt that is truly owed to you. Forgive the debt that is truly owed to you. Where am I getting that from the text? From the simple word there, indebted. There's a reason why Jesus chooses to use that word. It's the same word that he includes in a parable I'll read to you in a moment uh, about unforgiveness. But Jesus is cluing us in there. Hear me now if you've been sinned against. Well, everyone in this room has been sinned against. What am I kidding? Unless you're like three years old, you've been sinned against. You have a real debt that is owed to you. Jesus acknowledges that. Some of you have been sinned against violently, wickedly, with scars that may not heal this side of glorification, of your body being raised on the last day. So there is a real debt that is owed to you by the person who sinned against you. And Jesus' word is forgive it. Let it go. He acknowledges that there is a real debt, and yet he doesn't say exact repayment. He says, forgive that real debt. How is that even possible? How could I forgive what that person did that changed the trajectory of my life, that wounded me in a way that makes it hard to sleep, that changed the way I view other people, that makes it hard to trust? As Christians, we're armed with something that we didn't have when we were born. 
Inside us dwells the God who forgave our debt. The debt that I owe God is far greater than any debt that any person owes me. And he forgave it, canceled it, wrote paid in full on the note. That's how I'm to do it. He is not giving this prayer to unbelievers. Unforgiveness is a sin among unbelievers, but unbelievers are not capable of the type of forgiveness that God is commending to us here. We have within us God himself. The God of the gospel has chosen your flesh and your soul as the house, the home, the temple of his presence. He will help you. I'm asking you right now, think about that person. I am. Their severance with you, their break, rupture with you, is a small crack compared to the grand canyon of the rupture between you and God. And God forgave it, healed it, repaired it. They may never seek your forgiveness. I know that. But the God who authored this lives inside of you and he will not forsake you ask him to help you obey this command and he will let me read to you just a quick parable matthew 18 this is going to show us that unforgiveness in a christian is hypocrisy it's hypocrisy matthew 18 verses 21 through 35 peter came up to jesus like me i would have asked this question i guarantee you i would have asked this question peter's about to ask Peter came up to him and said, Lord, I don't, it's not like there, there's no stage directions in the Bible, but that's the, that's the voice I hear in Peter. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times. And if he paused there, I'm sure Peter was like, Whew. but 77 times. Therefore, Peter's jaw on the floor, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, mercy, compassion, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, in wrath, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 
tremble with me like those people in Judah in Ezra 10 as we read this last verse. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This man was a hypocrite, a pretender. He was a pretender because he did not do what a real Christian would do. We're pointed in another direction by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm watching that timer there. I got two minutes. All right, how this plays out. I'm going to do this fast. Last thing, how this plays out. A truth to consider. A truth to consider. Cleansed hearts and healthy Christian fellowship go together. Let me show you this quickly from 1 John 1. 1 John 1. It's the same passage that Jason read to us from our liturgy this morning. It's proof that God runs the world. I didn't tell him that I was going to use this. God really does run the world. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light, a Christian writing to Christians, a pastor writing to Christians, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Hypocrite, like that man. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Point. Walking in the light, walking in fellowship with one another, and cleansed hearts go together. They go together. You cannot have fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters while not having a cleansed heart which verse 9 tells us comes from confessing our sins to God. If you confess your sins to God, then you have the Christian right to expect that you will have a cleansed heart that will walk in fellowship with one another. Clean hearts and Christian fellowship come together. Peacemaking, people-blessing, Christ-like love, and fully confessed hearts are connected things. Cloaked hearts, concealed hearts, curse. They curse, and they don't walk in the light because the light would expose the things they want to keep hidden. That's in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Same John uh, explains that phenomenon there. Hearts that conceal sin rather than confess it, they nourish bitterness, jealousies, suspicions, anxieties, but confessed hearts, cleansed hearts, bless. They are confident in the blood of Christ. They are free to confront sin with compassion and courage. They rejoice with those who rejoice and they weep with those who weep. Hearts that hide their sin leave a blast radius of what the sin itself, the hidden sin, wrecked and killed. But hearts that regularly and repeatedly and honestly take their sins to the Lord provide rich soil for spiritual fruit to grow and ripen in. I'm going to end with this prayer part three here. Prayer part three is this. Father, cause my life to have the fragrance of forgiveness. Let me have the scent of a forgiven man who forgives others. If we could put that whole prayer up there, all three parts, I'm going to illustrate this before I pray with just two people from the Gospel of Luke. One we've already heard from, the sinful woman in Luke 7, who wept over Jesus' feet, kissed his feet, and dried them with her hair. 
Another we're going to hear about, a man named Zacchaeus, ostracized from his community because of his wickedness, his greed, his theft. Both of these people were forgiven by Jesus Christ. And I can't picture either one of them walking away from that experience, walking out of that house, that woman walking out of that house where Jesus told her, go in peace, your faith has saved you. Or Zacchaeus walking out of the house where Jesus just called him a child of Abraham, a son of Abraham, and and meeting somebody who had sinned against them and choking them the way that hypocrite did in Matthew 18. These people would have forgiven from their hearts because, not because they were sweet people, because they had been changed from the inside out, from the foundation up, they had been changed by the triune God. If you're not a Christian, I'm inviting you to that. That you would be changed into the kind of person who can forgive the way God forgives. Because he offers to live in you, to save you from everything you deserve. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Abba. Abba. You are so tender with us. We're not in this room today merely because we chose to get in cars and show up. We're in this room today because you ordained before the foundation of the world that we would be here on October 2nd to taste the bread and the cup, to sing, to hear your word proclaimed to us because you love us and you want us conformed to the image of your son. Your heart is warm towards us. You have forgiven every Christian in this room of every sexually wicked thought, of every rage that was nursed, of every slander that was uttered, of every lie that was told. You have cleansed us. Father, draw us into genuine confession towards you. And enable us by the power of the Spirit to forgive each other. In Jesus' name, amen. You're invited to pray. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.